0: It's The Night Talker with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 64 of The Night Talker. At 1045, Where are We At In Society is being replaced by the second of two conversations with stand-up comedians. This one is with a pioneer of American Muslim comedy, Uzzur Usman. He's actually going to be at Cap City this weekend. We'll talk about His stand-up trajectory, maybe his friendship with Dave Chappelle as well. The first comedian is the legendary Tony Woods, who's going to hang for two segments beginning at 10.15. He's headlining Joe Rogan's Comedy Mothership the weekend after July 4th. You don't want to miss this conversation. Recorded it earlier in the week. Maybe one of the funniest chats I've ever been a part of. And coming up this segment... Screw the NCAA, and screw the L part of the NFL, as both prove to be complete hypocrites as they seemingly do good on sports gambling. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can follow me on Twitter at Courtesy Wave, and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. These two entities have become regular targets on the Night Talker, specifically as it pertains to sports gambling, because the way that these leagues treat those responsible for making them as profitable as they are certainly the NFL more so than the NCAA continue to completely disrespect the players who are under their supposed control. Now, in the NFL's case, it's not supposed. That league rules with an iron fist. The NCAA doesn't have respect, so they really don't have authority, but they can still saber-rattle and make it seem like they do have authority from time to time. And I guess we'll start with the NCAA, because they made an announcement late yesterday that has to do with an investigation going on in the state of Iowa where a number of student-athletes at Iowa State and the University of Iowa are being investigated for wagering on games. They actually received some good news yesterday. There's a good chance that those student-athletes at those Iowa schools may face less of a punishment if what they were guilty of isn't as serious as, oh, I don't know, let's say betting on your own team for or against, which provokes a lifetime ban, a permanent loss of eligibility, if you will. Like, that's understandable, and that remains in place. And interestingly, this also applies, and still does, by the way, even after the announcement, to student-athletes who wager on their own games or on other sports at their own schools. So you can't bet on any other sports at your school either. That will evoke a permanent ban from college athletics. The other thing to keep in mind is that if an athlete wages on their own sport at another school, sports wagering education will be required as a condition of reinstatement, and the loss of 50% of one season of eligibility will be considered. Now, here's where it gets interesting, because there becomes uh, de-incentivizing things financially, I guess, based on what sort of suspension you will earn yourself for other wagering-related violations, such as betting on professional sports. The dollar amount matters here, 200 or less. Now... You have to take that sports wagering rules and prevention class. The previous penalty was a loss of 10% of the season, 200 bucks to 500 bucks. You lose 10% of your season's eligibility. Plus you have to take that stupid class. The Previous penalty was half the season, 500 to $800 loss of 20% of your season eligibility. Plus that stupid class. The previous penalty would have cost an athlete the entire season. More than $800 gambled, 30% of eligibility loss, plus that stupid GD class that shows up every time. Such a waste of time, and maybe that's as big a deterrent as loss of eligibility, having to sit through that stupid four to six hour class. The NCAA did stipulate that for cumulative wagering that greatly exceeds 800 bucks, it could result in additional loss of eligibility. Look, I understand that this can be perceived as steps in the right direction, like easing up on things just a little bit. But if you get outside of betting on your own team, betting on the other teams at your school, and we can maybe even say betting on the sport that you play, like betting for or against other schools. It has nothing to do with your team. Like I can maybe understand some sort of punishment for that. But to continue to profit... Off of sports gambling becoming legalized in so many different places. It's nearly 40 states at this point. is freaking ridiculous. Just stop trying to maintain such control over these young people. In some cases, you have to ma- let them make their own mistakes and their own decisions on things. And how dare you benefit from these relationships and from the allowance of others to do this while putting such strict restraints on them. Even if you are easing the penalties in those other sports betting situations. It's freaking BS and it's just another reason why the NCAA is herpes for college football. I would say college sports on the whole, but the NCAA does some okay things for the secondary sports. But it's complete negligence of football and the ability to have foresight on NIL and how even now, like the way it's trying to deal with these things is five to 10 years behind the times. You are herpes for college football. You are the gift that keeps on giving nothing good. Now, let's talk a little NFL where a handful of guys were officially suspended today for violating the league's gambling policy. Isaiah Rogers and Rashad Berry of the Indianapolis Colts, as well as free agent Demetrius Taylor, are suspended indefinitely through at least the conclusion of the 2023 season for betting on NFL games in 2022. There was a Tennessee Titan who was also uh, suspended for six regular season games of 2023 for betting on non-NFL sports at a club facility. And... I think I have issues with with both these suspensions. I certainly have issues with the betting on non-NFL sports at a club facility. Give me a freaking break. There's a good chance that facility is sponsored by DraftKings. And you damn well know the league and I don't know how many teams, probably the teams that are in states that allow sports gambling have made money On the legalization of sports gambling to go overall, to to go with the overall increase in popularity that exists in sports right now. Like, I think some of the TV numbers that we're seeing record numbers of people watching the College World Series and the NBA Finals and this and that and drafts and this. Like, I think part of that is inflated. I think. Part of that is fudging numbers, because you'll notice it's happening as negotiations for that next TV deal are occurring. But I think some of it is a general increase in what's going to happen because people are placing wagers on these games. That makes sports more interesting. It just does. But if any of these guys are not betting on their own team's games, and you can't show me evidence That they have received some sort of belligerent inside information that has led them to placing that bet. We can even consider dollar amount as well. Then you're being a complete freaking hypocrite. And I know nothing's going to change. And I know people are probably applauding this. But it doesn't change the fact that the NFL and the NCAA are complete hypocrites as it pertains to sports gambling. Part of me doesn't wonder if there's something deeply psychological going on with regards to showing everybody that you know the right thing to do. And you're going to maintain this law. At least you're going to maintain this law until sports gambling is legalized in the 11 states that are considered holdouts right now. And then things will return to business as normal, right? Anyhow, this won't be the last time that we talk about this, but we have to move on to a couple conversations with some hilarious dudes who are going to be in town performing stand-up over the next week plus. That starts with the legendary Tony Woods headlining at Joe Rogan's Comedy Mothership the weekend after July 4th, spending two segments with Tony coming up next.
1: It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellie. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellie.
0: Tony Woods is a legendary stand-up comedian who came up doing the craft in Washington, D.C. Just how legendary? Well, when Dave Chappelle received his Mark Twain prize for humor, the first person that he singled out as an influence on his comedy career and life is Tony Woods. And if you have the time, sometime between July 7th and 9th, he is going to be performing headlining at the Comedy Mothership. That's right, Joe Rogan's new comedy club. And there's actually tickets remaining right now. That's not going to be the case, maybe even after the weekend. But certainly by the time we get closer to July 7th and 9th, there won't be tickets left. So go to ComedyMothership.com and get yourself some right now. And Tony is nice enough that he's going to join me for a couple segments tonight. Tony, thank you so much for the time. How you doing today?
2: I'm good, man.
0: How you doing? I'm doing really well. It is a, an absolute pleasure to speak with you. You are a titan of this industry, influential to so many. And maybe most importantly, most selfishly for me, you're going to be here in Austin headlining Joe Rogan's Comedy Mothership here in a couple of weekends. I believe it's July 7th through 9th there will not be yeah. tickets a day or two before you actually perform so I'm trying to get out in front of this a little bit and give people a week and a half to grab those tickets. Go do so at ComedyMothership.com Have you had a chance to see Joe's Club just yet? I mean obviously it's receiving no, rave reviews I from audience and, and uh, comedians alike with the comedians saying it's very much a comedian's club and on the fan side of things I've seen uh. like four or five shows at this point and I'm actually going to be seeing you I believe on Saturday night which I can't wait for it is I mean nothing no is spared by Joe in the process with this new club
2: wow I don't want to see it <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, you know, I don't want to see it until I get there you know I, see, I, see, I don't want it to be like Star Wars for me you know a buddy of mine saw Star Wars because mm-hmm. yeah his mom uh, what was his his uncle was a diplomat or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they they got to see Star Wars at the embassy, like about about a week before it came out. I mean, the very first Star Wars. Wow! So all week he yo, it's the best thing you got to see this movie. It's, this is that he goes. Okay, I'm not gonna tell you. I'm not gonna tell you nothing about it. But I'll tell you this one thing, and that's all I tell you. So that went on all week. So by the time I actually saw, and and another thing is I didn't see it until like a week after. I didn't see it on the first weekend. I saw it the following weekend. And I slept so hard. And I woke up at the end and people were clapping. Hmm. And I'm like, what in the world did I miss?
0: You fell asleep (laughs) in the middle of the movie.
2: Yeah, I don't know if it's the middle of the beginning or what.
0: As a matter of fact, I went to
2: sleep. You know when uh, when they run uh, in the beginning, they're running the words through space, and you got to read that.
0: Yeah.
2: Subtitle. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the Navy then, man. I was, I, dude. I fell asleep. like I worked all the time. I fell asleep then. So I stood in line again another two hours to <laughs> see it. <laughs> My, I gotta see this. But by then, I've heard so many people talking about it. I knew everything. there was no surprises for me right and then I and to this day, I've never been a Star Wars fan. it, was like, it didn't it didn't move me at all so
0: I'm in that same boat, that. Tony as a matter of fact, one of the few movies I've ever fallen asleep in the theater it wasn't the original Star Wars. I think t- technically it was the first episode, but it was like the fourth one that they put out. It was yeah. incredibly boring for me, but I've never been a big Star Wars person, like even going back to childhood.
2: Yeah. So that's the one where they cut open the, the horse thing and he had to get in to save himself from freezing?
0: No, that's the... Um, <laughs> here we are having yeah, a what which conversation.
2: Whichever one that was, I was like, you know what, I give up. I can't.
0: Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> yeah. Which arguably is the, the best of those first three, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting having a kids who are supposed to be in Star Wars and they try and get into it and they're asking you all these questions, and you're just mm-hmm. like, kid, I don't know, like that's not my world. I can tell you about Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Princess Leia and Chewbacca yeah. and the robots, Darth Vader. That's about it, though. That's as far as my knowledge goes.
2: Yeah, they they it's all I mean, it's crazy now.
0: So, in looking at yeah. your uh, Instagram, have you? Been jet setting around the world in the last couple of weeks, or these old pictures that you're posting of like you in Paris, France, and you eating soup in Peru. So,
2: yeah, those are old pictures, man. Okay. <laughs> but it gets it gets everybody buzzing, doesn't it? Sure does. Because okay, here's what happened. As a, a friend of mine, he's um, what's the name? He lives in New Jersey, but he was trying to be funny. And he says, Did I see you in Paris buying a bag or something like that? I'm like, Maybe you did. I posted up the pictures of that guy photobombing me. I wonder who that joker is. I should put his picture up and find out who he is. But I was on tour with Louis C.K., and we were in Paris. And uh, Louis' road manager, she took my picture. And that guy behind me pulled up a shirt and did the <laughs> photobomb. Because <laughs> she said, she kept saying, let me get one more, Tony. Let me
0: get one. And she's laughing. I'm like,
2: okay, all right. Boom, come to find out he was back there photobombing with his nipple out.
0: What was it like performing in Paris? It was cool. Yeah?
2: It was me, Joe Mackey, Louis C.K., uh, the girl who Louis uh, knows over there. She's like one of the top female comedians over there. Hmm. As a matter of fact, they say she's like the Ellen DeGeneres of France. I'm like, wow. Anyway, she performed. We performed. And then after that, we we were just coming from Lisbon. We were in uh, Portugal and went to Paris. Then we got the train up to Brussels. Then from Brussels, we went up to Amsterdam.
0: Oh my God, what a trip! Yeah, man, fun. Is that the most fun tour you've ever been on? Hell no.
2: (laughs) We put the U in fun. That was an adult comedy tour. Okay, you know what I'm saying? With me, Louie, and uh, Joe Mackey and Leah. You know, that was an adult. That's you know that's such Oh, look at that! Let's let's go see the uh, what's the name of the church where the little where the humpback dude live? Oh, the, Don't uh, you, no.
0: Notre Dame Cathedral. Yeah,
2: yeah. right. And, and it had just you know it just burned up. You could still smell the smoke. Mm. So you know what I'm saying? We did stuff like that. We went to the Eiffel Tower. Uh, the last time i was in paris i saw the eiffel tower it was somewhere in town but we were at, man we were running around going to clubs going to bars you know you know what they say there i'm going to take you to the top discotheque in paris <laughs> <laughs> so, so nobody cared about you know going to see the church or the eiffel tower Nobody ever, yeah see that's what i'm saying cuz that was that was when i put the u in fun but now, I'm like, so, when was this church built again? <laughs> <laughs> Back then, I didn't give a damn. So, but you know, but I've done Australia. I, the first time I went to Australia was me and a guy named Greer Barnes, And we got down, man. We had a good time. As a matter of fact, I passed out. After being there for uh, three days, I passed out in the club. Wow. And come... Yeah. And so, of course, everybody assumed the worst. Oh, man, he must have took some bad drugs or something like that. And when I got to the uh, hospital, they said, well, you're dehydrated. And this used to happen to a lot of sailors because they would come down and it's just that they couldn't handle the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. And, he was, and he was looking at me like... <laughs> and then I said, "What do you? What do you mean, Steve? You said it happens to some people." I said, "So you are trying to say like this is my natural habitat? I should be good?" <laughs> I said, "Which goes to prove, man, the water's been tainted. Some, you know, somebody put something in the juice."
0: What do you tell you have scurvy or something? If you if he's saying that you have something that pirates used to get, like a vitamin C deficiency? Yeah, like
2: um, like how people. It happens to people from the northern hemisphere, huh. and they go down to the southern hemisphere, and they, and what it is, I had just like, with me, me and up uh, like everyday party, why playing basketball, going to the club, doing comedy, going to the casino, sleeping, no, that wasn't involved, mm. but, uh, and then and then uh, the doctor said I was dehydrated, so they had IV in me and. Slept they for three like, days. Yeah, I, well not I, I, let me see. That was that night. That happened that night around ten or eleven. And I think I woke up the next day around six. Damn. I started all over again. Just remember to drink water.
0: Jeez. <laughs> Freaking yeah. warrior, man. Sleep is one of those things. Like, here's how important sleep is. Like if you were to deny yourself sleep, water, and food. A lack of sleep is the first thing that would kill you, over yeah. water.
2: And uh, when I first moved to New York, it was like ninety one, and I was just coming back from uh, the military. And sleep is always like when you're on duty and stuff like that. Like you know, you can sleep for like ten minutes. Mm-hmm. I could, I I could sleep standing up, all kind of stuff. Can't do that now, but back then,
0: you learn. You learn where do. to squeeze it in in the military, is what I've always said. Yes,
2: and I will be in a comedy club. And you can ask anybody. You can ask Joe Rogan. They would come and wake me up. See, so you're on next, man. There's three more than you. Oh, well, you wake me up when he's done. be <laughs> <holy> shit!
0: <laughs> what do I you just stretch up. out like a cat and then walk on stage and you're ready to go?
2: Yeah, all the time. Damn. Yeah. I'm going to lay down in the back wall at a place called the Boston Comedy Club in Manhattan. Just lay out in the back and just be dead sleep. And then somebody come and wake me up and boom. And I go up and boom and kill.
0: He is stand-up comedian Tony Woods, headlining at the Comedy Mothership July 7th through 9th. Get tickets at ComedyMothership.com. Coming up more with Tony on the other side.
1: It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellie.
0: Back with legendary stand-up comedian Tony Woods. He is going to be headlining at the Comedy Mothership July 7th through 9th. There are actually tickets remaining right now. That won't be the case as we get closer to July 7th. So take the time, go to comedymothership.com and snag yourself a pair. A couple shows on Friday, a couple shows on Saturday, even a show on Sunday What is the process for you, Tony, like for uh, not just joke creation, but also how often you're turning over your act?
2: I seem to find myself in adventures all the time. Hmm. And I just talk about those things. Hmm. And um, like one particular bit can be 30 years in the making. Hmm. Like, okay, there's one bit I did on the comedy jam way back when I said, uh, that a woman sneezed and she covered her nose, but she had an earring hole. But the earring wasn't there, she had an earring and she sneezed. And, and, a, and, a, and a booger shot out and he got on my shirt. And she goes, I'm sorry. And then a <laughs> bubble came up. <laughs> it's stupid. And then I said, I fought the transit cop. The transit cop had one, uh, had like a little arm. Yeah, so uh, if you think about that, that's a. I would tell people like that would, at the time, like that's a twenty, twenty years in the making, because hmm. the, the the woman with the with the earring that was at one time, that was at another time. The guy with the little arm that was in sixth grade, a forty a little arm in sixth grade. Oh man,
0: dude, oh. literally had like one T Rex arm.
2: Yeah, he didn't. I didn't start it. His buddies started it because I was, you know, not I guess flirting with his sister, but you know, just you know how you do in sixth grade, man. You, you, if they're jumping double dutch, you just. And he said, uh, "Hey, man, I heard you just messing with my sister." So I was with your sister. Said, yes, yeah, yeah, because uh, his friends say, "Yeah, you you hit her or something." I didn't hit her. What is it? I messed with the rope. You know and then she's like, You better stop, like that. But it was just, you know,
0: like what sixth graders do, messing up double dodge.
2: Yeah, it's kitty flirting, that's yeah. what it is kitty flirting. <laughs> and um, she, and then and I laughed at him because he had the arm, like, Come on, you know, you don't want none of this. <laughs> and, and of course, the kids circle around us, we square off, and I. I took the first punch. I was hitting him a couple of times. He just kept squaring off. He kept doing like this with the with the little arm. It was, just, and I was like, "What? It was it was, it was distracting." Because <laughs> I'm like, "I want to go. What are you gonna, What are you gonna do with that?" Like, and it's like you just he kept doing, it and you keep looking, and then with the long arm.
0: Mm.
2: Yes, mother. You know, good
0: Wait a second! Did he hit you, like, you with the long arm?
2: Long arm, because he distracts you with the little turkey leg. <laughs> <laughs> he's like you, mother <laughs> <laughs> And so he's doing like this. He's winding it up, and and like, and it was crazy because he would like do like that. He would stop, and and you look that way. Bam! He get you. Bam! He get you. Like, but you could not not look at that little arm. Uh-huh. With the long one, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> yeah, it was did like,
0: did you swing was, back after that or were you so so surprised and dazed that you just backed I, away? I
2: rushed his ass. And that was a bad mistake too. Cause I rushed him and he put me in a he you know, put me in a headlock and he went, on with the little with a little turkey leg, man. <laughs> 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 so I wasn't even hitting him back. I was trying to get his arm from around my neck. You know, he wasn't like choking me, but he just had me like, you know, and just crack, 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 crack with with the little with the little arm. And it had no hands or nothing. It was it looked like a an uncircumcised dingling. But it
0: felt like a-
2: turkey leg (laughs) son of a bitch a frozen one Correct.
0: well even if physically it doesn't hurt more it probably psychologically hurts more getting hit by the turkey leg than by that straight right
2: but but throughout my life I found out how funny the story was (laughs) as a matter of fact when we left 6th grade we went to junior high school and him and his sister were at my junior high school for a little while but, um, I, you know, sometimes I, like, people would see him, and I, I know they, was, they were laughing because I told them the story. You know, and they would see him, and, and at the same time, they laughed about the story, but they knew not to mess with him, too. So it was a bad story, but it baked him up, you
0: know. Was that one of those moments out. where you realized how funny you were, too, in retelling that story?
2: I just I just I just remember no matter how many no matter how many times I, I told it they everybody laughed until they cried because hmm. it, it, it hurt? Yeah i was like, man where are the teachers? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Every time you see an argument they're there to break it up And man, no teachers
0: were around just watching watching it. Man that is crazy Last question, Tony, and I really appreciate the time today. I know that um, Dave Chappelle made quick mention of you when he accepted his uh, Mark Twain Prize in the last couple of years. You were literally the first person that he singled out. What does Dave Chappelle mean to you?
2: That's my man. I mean, you know, I started doing comedy. You know, he was always, uh, he's like my little brother in comedy. He was, you know, he was, and like, you know, people say, oh, you mentored Dave. Mentored anybody. We
0: <laughs> just hung
2: out. We just hung out. I was just older than him. That's so. all. Right. <laughs> and it's funny how we we knew each other before we knew each other. Because hmm. this little boy my mom used to babysit was his best friend.
0: Huh.
2: So David and his brother used to come over to my mom's house. Uh, you know, after school. My mom always ate cakes and after school. So bang. And then another time, me and my friends, because we were 17, it's the last year of high school, so we went out snatching bags for trick-or-treat. At that age, you're too big to be trick-or-treating, but you still love candy. (laughs) So so why not just take it from the little kids? Right on. You've heard the expression, easier than taking candy from a baby.
0: That's right. So that's what we
2: were doing. (laughs) It was Halloween, we're all in New York and... And I said, Yeah, what you gonna do? He said, Man, I'm going and watch scary movies on Halloween because I remember it Halloween, but he's telling all the details of this. story. I'm like, Whoa! I'm like, Over oh, by that wooden bridge, he goes, Yeah, did they take your bag over there too, Tony? I'm like, No. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, Did they? He said, Yeah, we saw them and they all ran and it got into a big gray. Big super big car. It's called a Fury Three. He goes, Yeah, but it didn't have paint. I'm like, I know. And it pouring <laughs> water. And he goes, did they stick your back?" so Like, no, that was us. Because <laughs> I was 17. He was seven. I was in 12th grade. He was in the second grade. But it's crazy. And then I call all my buddies who was there that night. I'm like, yo, guess what? We saw Dave. And so everybody's putting their Pieces to the story all together. Yeah, it's funny. But but then after we started doing comedy, man, we hung out and like his uh, his mom, my ex wife, stuff. We sit together and then his mom, you know, became like friends sometimes mm-hmm. his mom would say, "Yo, can you take him home? I'm like yeah. So boom, with my wife leaving early and then Dave's mom leaving early, who's gonna go straight home, son? Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but I mean, he didn't know where to hang out and stuff, but I did.
0: <laughs> it's crazy to think so, about the amount of comedic talent that's come out of D.C. There was a point in time where Martin Lawrence was maybe the funniest stand-up in America at some point in the 1990s. I, I feel like I haven't heard of him doing stand-up for a while, though. Is he still in that game at all?
2: I'm pretty sure he is, because I know he had a he had a tour called, uh, what was it called, Funny uh af funny af yeah, yeah the tour the light martin Lawrence funny af tour but i haven't done comedy with the brothers since uh since devil comedy jam <laughs> but he's one of the first comedians he is the first i always tell people he is the first comedian i met after i became a comedian him and another guy named pierre because i walked on stage i shook hands with a guy named kevin anthony and danny williams i wasn't a comedian yet I went on stage i ripped the first time it came off and the first two guys i met was martin lawrence and pierre so i see it. those are the last two guys i met when i was a regular guy and then boom when i became a comedian it was the first two guys i met
0: dude that is wild so yeah. you just you knew after that first time and the first time that you killed too that that was it for you
2: that was it i went up there and i'm stuck man i have nothing and this guy in the front said, hey, look, his leg is shaking, <laughs> which it was. <laughs> I told the mic with two hands because my hands were shaking. And my leg was shaking. And then, and I said, hey, but your stomach is shaking. And everybody laughed. I'm like, hey, man, but don't worry about it. You know, I used to be fat. I said I was a whopping seventy deep end. but I was only this tall. <laughs> and the room erupts and laughs, and I just go from there, bang, 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 bang. That's all you got to do to feed the machine is give it laughter. And I got you.
0: Damn, and all these years later, I'm getting a chance to uh, to finally see you live in person, as many others are at Joe Rogan's Comedy Mothership. It is July 7th through 9th. Look, if you're listening right now and it's a week out, don't waste your time. Go grab tickets. Tony, thank you so much for the time today, man.
2: All right, man. One love, dog.
0: Coming up, in lieu of where we at in society, it's one more conversation with a stand-up comedian. That would be Uzzur Usman. He's going to be at Cap City Comedy this weekend. He's actually a pioneer of American Muslim comedy. We'll discuss things with him on the other side. It's The Night Talker
1: with Trey Elling.
0: It's The Night Talker with Trey Elling. Uzzur Usman is a comedian, writer, actor, and producer who is considered a pioneer of American Muslim comedy. You can actually see that for yourself, just how funny he is at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend in the Domain. He's headlining shows in the much-publicized Red Room. I've heard great things about this room. Haven't seen a show there just yet, but he's going to be in the Red Room Friday and Saturday night at 8 p.m. Tickets and more info at uh, capcitycomedy.com Uzzer, thank you so much for the time. How you doing today?
1: I'm doing great Trey. Thanks for having me, man.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, full transparency here. I knew nothing about you before uh, before you were pitched to me earlier this week. But I read your bio and saw some connections that you had, and I said oh, I got to talk course. to this dude. We we can have a, a fun conversation here. It started with a guy that I've spoken with on multiple occasions, Mo Ammer who uh, helped Uh promote his shows at uh, the Paramount uh, a few years ago, uh, the first show that he did, and then he came back and uh, recorded a stand-up special. So for that reason alone, I wanted to uh, chop it up with you for a few minutes just to uh, talk some uh, stand-up in life, you know?
1: The reason you never heard of me, Trey, is a little bit by design, because I'm kind of like this indie underground comedian who prefers being in the background than being in the spotlight, if I'm being totally honest with you.
0: So tell me then, why are you getting back out in front of the crowd to show folks your stand-up skills coming up this weekend?
1: You know, it it, it feels a little bit like that. Uh, I don't know if you're a fan of Jay Electronica, the rapper, but uh, one of my favorite tracks of all time is Exhibit C by Jay Electronica. He's talking about how all of his peers, you know, Nas hit me up up on the phone, say, "What you waiting on?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tip t- hit me up on the face, say, "What you waiting on?" Like. Yo, you are all my comedian friends. Who I work with so many, you know, really just amazing comedians. I'm so grateful for all the opportunity I've had. But they've all been really nudging me and pushing me. And, you know, I'm talking people from Dave Chappelle to Mo Hammer, of course, to, you know, Hassan Minhaj, Rami Youssef, Hannibal Burris. Like, these are my... These are my collaborators, me and my conglomerates, shall remain anonymous, caught up in that fondness, get that type media coverage Obama gets, get that Kurt Vonnegut. So I've just been real background, real indie, like I'm not interested in the limelight, I'd rather just keep cooking, and when I feel like, all right, now I'm ready. You know, I, I have been a fan of stand-up comedy for much longer than I've been a comedian, and my own work has continued to disappoint me for a long time <laughs> until I think I, until I think I finally feel like I rounded a corner and I actually have something I want to say, and that's why I'm that's why I'm getting back on stage.
0: I mean, dude, you are dropping some uh, some titans in the industry in terms of the guys who are encouraging you to get out there on stage and, and hone that craft. It says on your bio that you toured with Dave Chappelle for a decade. Is that true? You've been hanging out <laughs> with Chappelle for ten plus years now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, it is true, man. I mean, uh, it's funny because the decade I spent with him, uh, where I spent a lot of, and you know, I spent a lot of time with him. We had a lot of conversations, and a lot of it was just off the record. A lot of it was about life, as well as comedy and being, a, you know, being a professional artist. And it's interesting because I feel very grateful that I got that time with him when he was off the radar. You know, so I basically met him shortly after he quit his show on Comedy Central oh, back in 05 or 06, whatever it was. <clears throat> and, you know, after that, he was quietly touring. He would just announce pop-up shows, maybe the morning of. And of course, he has fans. So they would, the shows would sell out immediately. But he was not on the radar of Hollywood because he was not putting out Hollywood content. So from about 2005, six to 2015, sixteen is really where I spent a lot of time with Dave. And I consider him, you know, one of my principal mentors, certainly in stand-up, but also just in terms of navigating being a professional artist. And he gave me so much interesting advice and insight. And of course, I'm I'm an observant student. Um, I used to be an attorney before I became a comedian. So I consider myself very observant. And, you know, I would learn vicariously and ask, I hope, ask the right questions and in, in this manner, you know, I really benefited tremendously from, from my association with Dave.
0: That's so interesting that you were with him during such an obviously transformative moment in his life where he was having to seriously consider that next step. And uh, don't take this next comment lightly about him because I consider him to be one of, if not the best stand-up comedian of this generation. But he's even more important as a humanitarian than he is a stand-up comedian uh, just because of his ability to really get people to think about various social issues. And he's been doing that since his very first stand-up special, Killing Him Softly, back in the late 90s, whenever that was.
1: You know, I agree with your assessment, man. That's why it's such a... It's a a massive honor for me in life, just to know the guy. Um, After he dropped uh, his first two Netflix specials, when he kind of, you know, kind of came back into the industry, and I watched him. Of course, they both came out. I had seen some of the material, you know, while while we were touring. You know, I saw the material under development, but I hadn't. I was out of the tapings. I hadn't seen the final drafts. So I watched the specials, and of course, you know, he loves uh, working with Yasin Bey, uh, most A.K.A. Most Def. Yep. So the most Def tracks were the intro tracks on the specials. So anyway, I called Dave the next day. He happened to be – or actually, I called Mo. I called Mo the next day. Mo happened to be with Dave. So he put me on speakerphone. I said, Dave, I have the review if you want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for whatever weird reason, Dave you know, really values my opinion. So he got a little nervous. He's like, oh, my God, what is it? I said, Dave, uh, here's my review, man. God. Dave Chappelle and Yassine Bey have inherited the spirit of Muhammad Ali.
0: Damn. That's very poetic. Well done there. Thank you, man. I know you're a sports guy, so I
1: thought you might appreciate that.
0: I mean, yeah, not just a sports guy, but understanding Ali's importance in in the history of this country and this world, too, and standing up for what he believed in.
1: You nailed it, Trey. That's my view, man.
0: Yeah, I mean, even in the face of, of heavy public criticism, which is... Something I don't want to spend this whole time talking about Dave Chappelle, but uh, that's very well sure. said. I, I do want to ask you a little bit more about yourself, Uzzer, uh, because sure. as you just mentioned, you were a lawyer before you decided to wreck shop in entertainment. What kind of attorney were you? So
1: you know, actually, to answer that question a little, a little bit of a further back uh, backstory: while I was in law school, which was the mid to late '90s, was the first kind of internet heyday. And so I actually started an internet company while I was in law school. Hmm. Uh, In fact, you know, if I'm going to brag about it, I actually wrote it, co-wrote. I don't want to say I wrote I co-wrote an AI-based patent uh, about neural networks back in the late 90s. Whoa. So I've been on this internet. Yeah, I've been on this internet, kind of seeing the automation wave coming for a long time. So I I graduated law school in 99. I did the dot-com startup. Of course, uh, the first internet bubble burst in spring of 2000. The way people feel about crypto right now is like, oh, it's all went to shit. It's, crypto's over. That's the way people were talking about the internet in 2000. <laughs> so that's another reason why I'm very skeptical about uh, people just trying to write off Bitcoin. I don't, I don't think it's going away.
2: Uh-huh. And,
1: but the point is, after that, we after you know the internet bubble burst, we had to figure out how to salvage what we had built. So we were able to flip that business. Uh, we sold that to basically a large uh, publicly traded bank at the time, Providian. Yeah my co-founder and I, and then that's when I finally started practicing law because I had never even sat for the bar and gotten licensed. And so what I was doing was I was uh, doing a lot of small business stuff because I had met all these entrepreneurs and I was doing basically like, you know, small financings, contract reviews, negotiating agreements, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was practicing, I would say a hybrid of mostly small business transactional corporate law and then I was sharing offices with a family law firm, so I'd do a little bit of family law for them. And a little bit of whatever walked through the door, man, to make a living, because then I started doing stand-up on, you know, and the moonlighting as a comedian for fun. And, you know, I did that for a couple of years from about 2001 to 2005. Uh, I was kind of doing, com- uh, doing, practicing law, doing comedy as a hobby. And then sometime around 0405 is when I started getting serious about Uh, you know, wait a minute, if I'm going to take money from people to do stand up, which started to happen because I was getting booked by Muslim community bookers at fundraisers and at events and colleges and what have you. I started feeling a little bit conflicted about that. If I'm being honest, Trey, you know, I try to live an ethical, moral life. And so Mm. I was like, I can't be charging people money. Certainly not like real money thousands of dollars. If I'm not a professional, if I can't really do this for real. Mm. And so I started feeling that pressure. So long story short, quit the legal game, got fully into the entertainment comedy game in 2005. And my co- the co-founder of the Allah Made Me Funny Tour, Preacher Moss, uh, it was really his idea. He approached me and he said, I want to do a Muslim comedy showcase of touring stand-ups. And I want you to do this with me. And I said, you know, let's do it, man. So he was the creator of that show. I became the co-creator of that show. Eventually, Mo Ammer joined us on the Allah Made Me Funny Tour. And we toured all over the world, man. We did 20 plus countries, which is why I feel now, you know, I feel very indie underground because we did all that. But Hollywood doesn't know about that. And I did a terrible job of self-promotion and building an audience. So I feel like I paid a lot of dues. I built my comedy chops, but I did it you know, off the radar. And I feel now ready and baked to enter, you know, in front of the camera.
0: Man, I'm going to admit that I'm uh, a little bit annoyed that we're already out of time right now. I I hope we can pick this chat up. or I know you're not going to be promoting any Austin shows, but I would love to pick this chat up in the next couple of weeks because there's a lot more to get into with you. I didn't even realize the AI background can talk more about that and also your status as uh, a literal pioneer of american muslim comedy uh, just what it means to hold that mantle but we're unfortunately out of time so thank you so much for the time and uh, enjoy your shows at cap city comedy club this weekend Uh, Uzzer usman will be at the red room at cap city comedy club friday and saturday night at 8 p.m it some more info capcitycomedy.com Uzzer, thank you so much for the time today man really appreciate it
1: trey thank you for having me i look forward to continuing our conversation
0: another show is in the books thank you so much for listening I will be back tomorrow at 10 in the meantime have yourselves a great rest of the night and sweet dreams it's the Night Talker with Trey Elling.